0: Jesus is real. There's power in Your name. We find hope when we trust in Your ways. We believe Jesus is real.
1: As followers of Jesus, our job is to pray for them. Why? That God would give them supernatural wisdom to make good decisions. Now here's the thing, if you're here and you, maybe you really didn't, you don't like our current president, you really didn't like the last president, then you should be praying for them more. If you don't like their decisions, you should pray for them more, because you're responsible for that. They make their own decisions, but our job is to pray for them, because there's so much more going on in all these decisions than any of us know.
0: If you were in trouble and needed to run to a place of safety, you'd want whoever you were running to to be fair, right? Well, in today's teaching, Pastor Daniel touches on how the Jewish people had cities of refuge to go to and would hope to be dealt with fairly there. But the bigger picture idea here is that God is the city of refuge that you want to run to, knowing that he judges fairly and he's the one who can make things right. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Joshua chapter 20 as he begins his message, Finding Refuge.
1: I love how detail-oriented God is as it relates to our lives. You know, I know for many people, we have this idea of God being kind of like an absentee landlord, where God created everything, he put everything in place, and then God has absolutely no care or concern for the minor details of life. But from cover to cover in our Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, we find that God is a God who takes... Very specific care of every single detail. So in order to get at that, I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter 20. Joshua, chapter 20, as we continue our study here in the book of Joshua series that we're calling Homestead, because we're seeing God settling his people in the land. And we've gone through where all the tribes have gotten a land allotment, but that's not the end of the story. I mean, the people got the land, but God isn't only concerned about the people in general. God also has a special concern or a unique concern for people who are vulnerable, where there's vulnerabilities or there's situations where someone, given the way the culture function, could be exploited or potentially harmed. And all through the Bible, we see that God is always an advocate for those people. God because he's a just God, wants to make sure that everything is in its proper place. And so tonight we're going to look at the actual allotment of what we call the cities of refuge. Now as we go into it, it's a short chapter. I mean, you know, it's, it's, we're going to go through nine verses tonight, and so I kind of like only having to teach nine verses here because I can really have fun with what we have here. And there really is a lot to be said. Now here's what you have to realize, that when... God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai. He gave him the Big Ten, right? And right after that, in Exodus 21, he brings out this idea of the future establishment of these places called cities of refuge. Now, what we're going to see tonight is really that these cities of refuge function as, unfortunately, it's a weighted term today, a sanctuary city. For somebody who has been involved in a murder, but it was unintentional. So it was a place that they could be protected before a family member who was an avenger of the death of a loved one could come and get them. So the idea is in that culture, I know it sounds kind of archaic for us, but the idea of vengeance killings was very common in that culture. And so in order to protect somebody who there was an accidental death that they were involved in, they could go to these cities of refuge and they could find sanctuary until the elders could be convened and we could find out, was this really an intentional thing or an unintentional thing? And right away, just from the beginning, like, so you get the Ten Commandments and you get this part of the future establishment of the sanctuary cities in, or the cities of refuge in Exodus 21. What you realize is, once again, God loves life. That's what this is really about. See, every decision that God makes and every encouragement and commandment that God gives, it's always meant to promote life. Now, not just life, people being alive. God cares about people being alive, but God also cares very much about the quality of life. Right? So you could be alive and in effect, be dead. You could have a quality of life that is completely diminishing to the reality of being alive. And so God is interested in us preserving life and then in the life that we have, the quality of life. That's why Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and then they might what? Have it more abundantly. So God is interested in that, and in the case where there is some sort of accidental death where someone is involved in an unintentional thing, like maybe something like we would have today, something like vehicular manslaughter, where you're driving, something happens, unfortunately there's an accident and someone dies. In that culture, anytime there was a death, the avenger of blood would always come after that person. The idea of the eye for the eye. That sense of justice. And so in those cases, God set up these cities of refuge for the person to be able to go and be safe. And what's really beautiful about this is it reminds us of Psalm 46.1, which says, God is our refuge and our strength in ever-present help in trouble. See, so the idea of the cities of refuge, it's a reminder that these cities not only had very practical purposes, but was also a picture of the fact that God is a place where we can all flee into and be safe. And if you think about the picture of the murderer who justice should be enacted upon running to this place to be safe, it reminds us of the whole good news of the gospel, which is that you and I, because of the way we've already lived, because we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, because none of us have ever gotten everything right, we are all under a death sentence. We have, in a sense, the avenger of blood. We have not only our own sin and rebellion, but also the perfection of the law that now... Puts us under a death sentence, and our city of refuge is who? Is Jesus, and we're going to see the gospel portrayed through the cities of refuge in nine verses. In verse one, it says, "'The Lord also spoke to Joshua, saying, "'Speak to the children of Israel, saying, "'Appoint for yourselves cities of refuge, "'of which I spoke to you through Moses, "'that the slayer who kills a person "'accidentally or unintentionally may flee there, "'and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood.'" And when he flees to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city as one of them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unintentionally, but did not hate him beforehand. And he shall dwell in that city, verse 6, until he stands before the congregation for judgment and until the death of the one who is high priest in those days. Then the slayer may return and come to his own city and to his own house, to the city from which he fled. Now, you have to realize that and I love verse 1, and I don't want us to like just miss it. The Lord also spoke to Joshua, saying... Like, it's so easy, imagine, it's like the first verse, the introduction to this chapter. But you realize how profound verse 1 is, right? The Lord spoke to Joshua. And brothers and sisters, God wants to speak to you too. He wants to speak to you personally. Now, I've heard it said this way, don't ever say God is not speaking Unless your Bible is closed. Listen, every single time, brothers and sisters, you open this book, God is speaking to you. God has an amazing way of taking a text like Joshua 20 that we're studying right now and applying it personally to your life in ways that are very specific. See, God still speaks today today. And God wants to speak to you personally. I mean, how cool it would it be if he says, the Lord also spoke to, and insert your name, saying." And what's amazing is, and we won't do it tonight, so I don't put anyone on the spot, but if we were to go around the sanctuary and say, what has God spoken to you today? All of us should be able to say something. And if you're like, well, I don't, maybe not me. Well, listen, you have, God's given you ears to hear, so you have to hear. God wants to speak to you. See, because Jesus is real and because Jesus walks with you through life, he knows exactly what's going on in your life. And God has thoughts about it. He has wisdom he wants to grant. He has direction for you if you are willing to receive. The biggest problem that we have in our generation is not our access to information, but how often because of the access to information we have that we close our ears to true wisdom. See, true wisdom is the right application of the right information, and you, no matter how educated or how successful you are, if you do not avail yourself to the wisdom of the God of all knowledge and all wisdom, where all truth is his truth, then no matter how educated and successful you are, you're really ignorant. And God wants to speak to you. When was the last time God spoke to you? When was the last time you opened up the word of God and said, God, will you speak to me? Now, I want to take a moment and speak to those of you who are big, serious Bible people. Now, I'm hoping I'm talking to all of you because all of you should be big, serious Bible people. Okay? But here's what happens, and this happens very easily, is that... You come to Jesus and you read the Bible devotionally. You read it and you're like, oh God, speak to me. And then at some point, Satan wants to get you off your game a little bit, so he wants, he, you start to read the Bible intellectually divorced from any sort of relationship. Now, I'm gonna tell you, if you study the Bible intellectually of divorced from a relationship, then you're gonna become a Pharisee. That's what happens. Because then all of a sudden, you don't really care about God or people, you just wanna be right right? Like you just want to make sure everybody knows that you're right and they're wrong. You're smart and they're dumb. You are superior and they are inferior to you. Now, listen, I'm not saying don't read the Bible intellectually. I'm saying if you read it intellectually, don't divorce it from relationship. Because when the Bible becomes a book that you have determined you're going to be smarter than other people, then all of a sudden you have a major, major problem. And the reason I bring that up is because Jesus had problems with the religious leaders in his day because they divorced their study of the word from a relationship with the God of the word. And anytime your study of the word causes you not only to be divorced from relationship with God, but then divorced from relationship with other people, then you know you're really off base. Because the three eternal things in this world are God, people, and God's word. And God is not looking to divorce us from any of those three and not let one make us pulled away from the other two. And so we want to make sure that we're people who read and study the word, but we don't want to study it divorced from relationship. I always get nervous when I talk to someone who's so into the Bible and they don't love anybody. Because it's like, dude, you're missing the whole point. You know, it's like, so you got all this information, but it's actually not right where it's supposed to be. And so we want to make sure as people who God is speaking to, we want to be people who are deep in the word, but we want to make sure that our intellectual pursuits in the word are never divorced from relationship with God and with others. Anytime your theological study causes you not to love God more and love people more, then your theological pursuit is already in error. Does that make sense? Now, I can bring that up because I've been there. You know, I remember as a young pastor and as a young believer, and somebody who loves to read and loves to dig, I remember, and I'll never forget it, I was really into studying and I was doing word searches and I was doing a whole word study on shoes in the Bible. I know it's weird, but listen, like, when Moses says, when God says to Moses, man, take off those sandals, you know, for the place you stand is howl around, like, that means something. You know what I mean? There's all sorts of, I mean, shoes, I mean, including sandals, all the different flats and all the different types of shoes, you know? And I was doing this study because I thought it was fascinating. And what I realized is in my pursuit of deeper theological knowledge that people around me were like, well, I'm really having a bad day right now. And I'm just like, oh, but you never believe it says this over here and this thing has this over here. And it was like, and people were broken around me and needed someone to care for them. And I was so focused on shoes in the Bible. And unfortunately, isn't that a very unfortunate reality of Christianity in 21st century America today? It's like the world around us is broken and coming apart. And churches are like, well, we're going to start a new church because we don't believe in baptism that way. We believe it in this way. Or we're going to start a whole new thing because this guy does this thing and we're going to do our own thing. And it's like, hello. It's like the world is broken and the good news is Jesus. And the church is so busy having an adventure to miss the point that the gospel isn't getting out. Now, listen, I love the fact that at Crossroads, we're not that kind of church. We're not trying to get into the minutiae, but we're going to be deep about these things. Does that make sense? And I want God to speak to each one of you. And I want you to read the word daily. It's your daily bread. Like Jeremiah, your word was found by me, O Lord. He said, and I did eat it, and it became unto me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. When Jesus says, a person shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, quoting the book of Deuteronomy chapter eight. That should be us. Just as we love our physical food, gluten-free or gluten-full. We should be loving, interacting, and digesting, and chewing on the word of God. But we always want that study never to be divorced from relationship with God. Because right as you get into the word apart from the God of the word, that doesn't drive you to the people of the world, you're going to have a problem. And I just felt as I was studying, I needed to make sure I say that. Because it happens really easy, unfortunately. And it's one of the ways that Satan sidetracks the people of God. Now, look at what the Lord spoke to Joshua. Verse 2. Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint for yourselves cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you, through Moses. So I already told you, it pops up in Exodus chapter 20 and 21 and in a number of other places as well. It shows up again in the book of Numbers chapter 35 and a number of other places. Now, what's interesting here is in verse 3 it tells that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. Now, don't miss the fact that the Bible has the name of one of the greatest metal bands of the 70s right there in the verse there. So, you want to find a great name for a metal band, just go look in the Bible and you'll find it: Slayer. You guys are good Christian people, so you don't know who Slayer is, but all of us pagans know what that is, you know? <laughs> Some of you people are like, I like Slayer. We're praying for all of you. Okay. You know? <laughs> But you realize that murder is one of the Ten Commandments, right? And so out of all the things that God says, those unique ten that he wrote with his own fingers, you know, you have the two tablets of the law. The first tablet deals with our relationship with God, and then the second tablet deals with our relationship with other people. And out of that, the very first one is don't kill people. Don't commit murder. So the idea here is don't be seeking after people's lives to terminate it. Right, And so right away, it's like, but in the case where a person unintentionally or accidentally takes someone's life, God is now interested in protecting that person because in that culture, because of the avenger of blood, they are vulnerable. And so he says, I want you to appoint for yourselves these cities. Now, according to Jewish tradition, the roads leading to these cities of refuge were kept in excellent conditions, and every crossroads had very specific, well-marked signposts with signs that say refuge with arrows. And also, at times, there were runners stationed along those roads to make sure that people would get there and not get lost in the process. Now, isn't that kind of shocking? And all the things that God could care about, God's like, in this situation now where somebody who is in a bad situation is vulnerable... I want to make sure that there's a way for them to make sure that they are not exploited. That they are not losing their life before all things are being heard. And so what was amazing is you have all this going on and it says in verse four, and when this person flees to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of the city, they shall take him into the city as one of them and give them a place that he may dwell among them. Now, What's interesting is, in ancient cultures, the city gate was a pretty elaborate thing. I mean, when you think of a city gate, I mean, when you go to a city now, it's like you have a million ways in and out. But back in the day, there was really one entrance to get in, and it was heavily fortified because it also functioned as a defense system for that city. So those city gates were very specifically controlled, and right at the gates where the elders of the city spent time, the leaders of the city. So today they'd stay in city hall or the White House, but back in the day they would stay in the, in the city gates and they would be the, the judges over all the disputed matters. So people would go to the city gates. Like in the book of Ruth, we have Boaz making the transaction to be able to redeem Ruth at the city gates with the elders of the city. So when this slayer who is Fleeing for his life to the city of refuge, he'd show up at the gate and he would explain to the elders what was going on. And then the elders would determine if what he was saying was true or if it was false. The elders would determine it was this death, was it truly accidental and unintentional or is this person a liar? Now, again, for elders and leaders, that's the calling in the Mantle and Lord willing the anointing of a good leader, that discernment to be able to see through all the details and be able to say, "This is true and this is false. And I just really want to encourage you. That's why it reminds us in the book of Romans that we need to pray for our officials. Look at, even if you don't like the elected officials of whatever generation, as followers of Jesus, our job is to pray for them. Why? That God would give them supernatural wisdom, to make good decisions. Now here's the thing, if you're here and you, maybe you really didn't, you don't like our current president, you really didn't like the last president, then you should be praying for them more. If you don't like their decisions, you should pray for them more, because you're responsible for that. They make their own decisions, but our job is to pray for them, because there's so much more going on in all these decisions than any of us know. Right? And we really need the Lord to be able to speak in that they would have hearts that would be open to receive what God's plan is. See, it's so easy to be angry at elected officials. But really, when was the last time you just got on your knees and prayed for them? Pray that they would make amazing decisions. Pray that God would give them wisdom beyond their years, beyond their experiences, beyond their issues. See, because the job of leaders is not easy. I mean, just imagine you're part of the elders of one of these cities of refuge and someone shows up and they've been fleeing for their lives and the avenger of blood is following after them and they get to the gate and they're like, explain to you what's going on. Now, how many of you have been in a situation where two people tell you about the same thing and they have two completely different reasons why it happened? If you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like husband wife, they see two things, and then they have two different ways. no, you did it, no, you did it. no, it wasn't my fault. it was your fault. no, it wasn't my fault. it was your fault. Oh no, no, it was definitely your fault. It's definitely not my fault, right that's what the elders of the cities dealt with every single day in a million different ways. and don't think that elected officials or maybe if you work at a company, your boss, don't think it's not like that for them. The leader's job is to seek God, seek information and make wise decisions that's one of the reasons solomon in the scriptures is known as such a wise leader you remember the story of the two women and there was one baby one baby died and whose baby isn't and solomon walking in very unique wisdom said oh man okay if you guys can't agree on whose baby this is then take a knife and cut the baby in half can you imagine if you were sitting in that room can you imagine it in a social media day and age if that thing happened King Solomon just said, cut the baby in half. Ah, Impeach him, you know? Jesus is real.
0: A city of refuge was supposed to be a place for someone to run. As Pastor Daniel spoke on today, there's an important element that goes into a place of refuge. The people or person that's judging in that location needs to be fair and reputable. Well, as you heard today, God is that very person judging fairly and giving people a second chance when they've done something wrong. God can be that place of refuge for you too. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here, lead pastor of Crossroads
1: Community Church in Vancouver, Washington. We would love to connect with you in person. We have services on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you are not able to join us in person, connect with us online at live.crossroadschurch.net
0: or find us on Facebook at Go, the number two, and Crossroads. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to jesusisrealradio.com Click on the stations option in the main menu and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share how the high priest played a role in these cities of refuge. But it's not just for Old Testament time rescue. No, there's so much more significance to the high priest of those days. Once you realize that Jesus is the ultimate high priest, this whole city of refuge concept starts to become much more real for you and your life today. Tune in next time to learn what it all means. And there is more to come from this series with Pastor Daniel, so please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.